We're glad that you are joining with us today in worship. Do you, um, do you ever have trouble saying no to people? Do you ever find yourself being taken for granted for all the things that you do? If you do, you, you might be a number two. Uh, today we're in the second week of our series called What's Your Number? And it's based on the Enneagram, which, which classifies human personality into nine different types. It's, it's similar to the Myers-Briggs or the DISC or, or the Strengths Inventory, which corporations, businesses have used for years to, to help train their employees in, in relationships. And, and our hope is that, that this series will help you make some self-discoveries that will help you understand how God has uniquely designed you and, and how you can grow in your relationship with others and how you can grow in your relationship uh, with God, your walk with the Lord. Last week we looked at number one, which is called the Reformer. Uh, today we look at number two, which is called the Helper. And they are called the Helper because that is what they are. They are all about helping other people. And so twos value relationships very much. They are kind. They are self-sacrificing. They are always considerate of other people. And they want their world to be a more loving place, and they will do whatever is necessary to help make this happen. They express what they feel for others by helping, by serving, by supporting the needs of others. Uh, they'll take a genuine interest in the needs of others, and they will come alongside anybody in need. They will offer acts of service. They will give helpful advice. Uh, they are some of the best nurturers you will find, and they are excellent listeners. You need somebody to sit down with and listen. They're there. They will do that. And you'll find twos very much involved in their communities. They'll be serving in the sports leagues. They'll be serving in the PTA and school. They'll be serving in the church and on the various committees. And they are there. And, and they're the first person to bring you a meal if you are sick. And, and they are the last person uh, there at a party if there are still dishes to clean up. They're not going to leave until that last dish is washed and, and put away. Sounding familiar to anybody that you know? Now here's the challenge for the twos. They also want something in return. They want to be loved. They want to be wanted. They want to be appreciated. Which can make it a problem for them to keep boundaries. You see, it's, it's hard for them to say no because twos need to be needed. They rely on other people needing them to sometimes boost their self-worth. They present this cheerful, likable image, and that's their strategy for getting you to love them. And while ones live out of their intuition, out of their gut, twos live out of their hearts. They are the feeling people of the world. And while ones like to live in a world of logic and rational arguments, twos are all about the heart. They're all about their feelings. And while ones, which, of course, I am one, I is one, uh, can be very judgmental, 
uh, twos are graciously accepting of everyone. And they are at their best when they love and care for other people out of this um, overflow of knowing that they are loved and that they are lovely in the eyes of God. And when their service is without expectations and when there are no strings attached, they can reflect God's unconditional love in amazing ways to others. At their worst, when they are not appreciated and when their voice isn't heard, they will feel taken for granted. Twos can be controlling. Truths can be manipulating. Uh, truths can be, um, truths can be, feel entitled, and they can be very intrusive into your life. And they sometimes fear, fear that they are without value in themselves, and so they believe that they must be or do something extraordinary in order to win love and acceptance from others. And this can sometimes cause them to present this false image of being completely generous and unselfish and of not wanting anything in return when in fact they have enormous expectations <laughs> and unacknowledged emotional needs. My oldest daughter Megan is a classic too. And she loves to spend countless hours searching for that perfect present. Some of the Christmas gifts she has given me are just over-the-top incredible. She creates all of our family photo albums, life videos. She loves to throw those milestone parties. And she'll spend months making sure that the napkins color-coordinate with the tablecloth because she enjoys seeing how much this means to other people. And when she sees somebody in need, she is the first one there to coordinate all the efforts. But also can cause her problems. A few years ago, she decided to start a small business uh, doing photography. She, that's, that's her hobby. She loves it. And she started out doing the portraits for free because she didn't want anybody upset with her if the photographs didn't come out exactly perfect. She spent hours and hours shooting, finding locations, checking the light, and then, and then editing the photographs. But the payoff for her was when family and friends would let her know how much they absolutely loved those pictures. And it went pretty well, so she thought next year she's going to start charging a small fee. But but then she found herself becoming resentful if the people's reactions to her photographs weren't absolutely over the top. After all, a professional would have charged hundreds of dollars more. Don't you realize how much you got for such a little fee? At the same time, it would stress her out if they didn't like the pictures. Oh, my goodness. And so many times, she would just do it for free because she could not say no. The result, she began to hate it. The stress of creating images that people would love and, and, and make them happy. The resentment of, of not getting much financial return. And, and then the number of hours invested creating, created uh, these pictures was this enormous dilemma 
when people didn't appreciate it as much as she thought they should. She had started the business because she loved photography and because she thought that she could use it to make a little money and allow friends and family to have some great memories at this affordable cost. But the reality is she had these high expectations for their reactions. She needed other people to realize how much she was working and to acknowledge this gift that she was giving them. One of the flaws of the tutors. Until finally her husband said to her, Megan, you are stressed out all the time. You don't even enjoy photography anymore because you're so afraid of messing up. You either need to increase your prices and make it a full-fledged business that's not about pleasing people, or you just need to stop. And he was right. Her fear of failure and letting people down was overwhelming. She felt that internal struggle of, of the joy she felt when she got the positive feedback from people, but grumbled when they didn't seem to totally appreciate everything. And so she quit. And she said it was the most liberating thing she had ever done. Now, she still does a photo shoot for a friend now and then, but she no longer needs the response. And the joy is in giving again. Megan is on the road to becoming a healthy two. And so the thing that, that, that two struggle with the most, uh, their core sin is pride. Now, that doesn't seem to make sense. That seems strange because aren't twos so selfless? But here's why. Twos believe that they know what is best for everyone else, and they can take care of everyone but they deny the care that they need. So they focus all of their attentions on, on meeting the needs of others, while at the same time they give this impression that they don't have any needs. They like to help those that they think are, are weaker or less experienced or, or less capable of, of managing their lives than they are. And so, so there's nothing they enjoy more than being that white knight on the horse riding in to rescue somebody because they can't manage their own life. But that unconscious expectation is this. I'll be there for you as long as you'll be there for me without me having to acknowledge or even ask for your help. And if you are not there when the two needs you, they will seethe with resentment. You see, twos expect you to know what they need. And if you say to the, new, to the, to the two, I'm sorry, I just can't read your mind, I don't know what you need, they will reply, I am tired of telling you what I need. You should just know. Sound familiar? See, helpers are drawn to the ministry. And while they are wonderful at caring for the needs of people, it can also wreck them if they don't sound, set some boundaries. I know pastors who love the role of, of rescuing people. They'll spend countless hours with someone that they deemed troubled. And either one or two things will happen. One day they will wake up 
and they'll realize, oh my gosh, I can't do this anymore. I have to take care of my needs too. Or they will keep on with rescuing people until one day they burn out and they are exhausted and they leave the ministry. So maybe a two sounds like somebody you know. Maybe it's somebody that you live with. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe, maybe you're a two. We have two people on staff who are great examples of the helper. Let's watch their video. An adjective to describe the type two helper in the Enneagram is considerate. How does that fit you? Want to go ahead? Sure. Okay. Um, I was being considerate. <laughs> she was. <laughs> I think when you are considerate, yes, I think it does, because when you're considerate, you're thinking of others. And that's, I think, a big part of what the helper does. You're thinking about others. You're empathizing with others, you know, the struggles they're going through, the pain they're going through. So I would say yes. What is your deepest fear? Your turn. My turn. Uh, I think rejection. Um, I think because I care so much what people think about me um, and I want to be loved that I, if I'm being honest, um, I do have a fear of being rejected. I'd say mine's similar but insignificance. Mm -hmm. That I went through this life and didn't create the positive impact that I wanted to. Um, that I didn't help, that I didn't serve, that it didn't matter as much as I thought. I think it does. Um, and that people didn't see Jesus in me. How does being a type number two, the helper, impact your relationship with Christ? There can sometimes be a bit of a boundary issue. You know, why did um, my friend lose a child? Why did um, somebody have to move away from me that I really loved? Um, and so it can, it can draw me into a lot of questioning with the Lord. And I don't question his motives or his plan. It's just sometimes we wanna know the answer and it's, you're not, we're not gonna get it this side of heaven. I think I, being a people pleaser, try to go out of my way to please the Lord. Like, what do I need to do instead of be? I can let that overcloud me just being still and listening to his direction or his, you know, his words to me. I try and figure it out for him. I'm micromanaging. <laughs> I totally see you as the helper. You're one of the first people that if there's a need, you're right there. Oh, thanks. You and Vic. But yeah, you're, you're, you're already setting up a, a meal plan or, or doing something, weeding yards or giving a kidney. So. <laughs> she is. <laughs> Well, and I see the same in you. I see you starting small groups where there wasn't one before because you saw a need, and you do the meal train thing, too. I mean, together we could do meal trains forever. 
We're out of here. <laughs> it's a wrap. Uh, those two probably could feed the world. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised uh, at all. As you heard, Sue actually uh, donated one of her kidneys to a person. So that's just the perfect, the perfect two, the perfect helper. Now, there's a biblical character in the Gospel of Luke who is also the perfect two. Can you think about who that might be? What biblical character? Her name is Martha. <laughs> and whenever Jesus was near Bethany, he always knew the place to go for a, a good meal and some warm hospitality in this atmosphere of love. And it was the place of retreat. Mary and, and Martha and their brother Lazarus were some of his best friends. We find the story in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Feeling unappreciated, isn't she? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, when Jesus arrives, Martha does what any good two would do, get to work, making sure everybody is comfortable and has what they need. And on this occasion, Martha's busy. She's in the kitchen. She's putting together another one of her first-class meals. And so picture her there. She is, she is over a hot stove. She's fussing over the details of a dinner to which she and her sister had invited Jesus. And where's Mary? Where is that girl? She is goofing off, right? And so the older sister's resentment becomes, comes to this boil when a lamb is sizzling on a hot grill. And finally she can't take it anymore. Jesus, tell my sister to get her lazy bones in here if she knows what's good for her. It's not fair. It's not fair that I have to do all the work. I mean, hell has no fury like an overworked two who's feeling unappreciated. And under her breath, she's probably adding, God knows I wanted this house spick and span, neat and tidy, vacuum dusted and polished. Number two's exhausted. And Jesus sees this. And he says to Martha, Martha, relax, take a chill pill. And kindly but critically, he calls her on the dust-free carpet. Martha, you are worried and you're distracted and you are stressed. You are uh, about many things, but there's only one thing that is needed. You see, she's worried, she's distracted, she's burned out, she's exhausted. That's the life of a two. And the Marthas of this world, they, they, they read the story and they get irritated, probably because they had a, a, a Mary who was a, a little sister, who was always getting away with that kind of stuff. And they think that Jesus should have let uh, Mary have it and, and commended Martha. But 
That's not what happens. And it's not that, that what Martha was doing was bad. It was good. I mean, somebody had to be making the meal right or nobody was going to be eating that night. So Martha is simply walking her type, wanting to serve Jesus as, as best as she can, but also hoping to feel loved and appreciated. And so Jesus affirms the, the importance of a servant heart, but, but spending time with Jesus was also important. See, Mary wasn't lazy. What Mary had learned was how to set up some boundaries and how to say no to her guilt-inducing sister to choose the better part. And maybe what Jesus is saying to you today is that you simply need to learn how to relax in his presence. Now, why is it that twos have such a hard time doing this? How, why do they have such a hard time saying no? I, I think that they're afraid that people will think that they're selfish. After all, doesn't the Bible teach us to think, you know, about other people? And it's true. It's, it's true that we are to be loving people who are concerned about the needs of, of others. In fact, the number one hallmark of, of, of the Christian's uh, life is that we love others. But being able to say no can actually increase the ability of, of the twos to care about others, to care about others that twos also need to take care of themselves. In fact, I would say that Jesus was the perfect model of a two, that he defined his entire life this way. Uh, we find a story in, in Mark chapter 10. Jesus and his disciples are, are walking to Jerusalem, and, and they're all a little nervous about this because the last time they were in the capital city, the, the religious leaders uh, uh, had, gave a lot of opposition. And he, Jesus explained to his disciples what, what's about to happen, and it's all bad, but it, it just seems to go over their heads. You know, sometimes we just don't want to hear the bad news. Anyhow, it doesn't seem to phase James and John at all because they ask Jesus a, a rather presumptuous question. They ask him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, Okay, what is it? Well, we would like to sit at your right hand of glory and your left hand of glory when you come into your kingdom." You see, the right hand was the supreme spot of, uh, of honor, and the, and the left side of the king was the second seat of honor. And, and Matthew's version of the story is even better. It says that they actually, these two brothers, sent their mother to ask Jesus. I mean, talk about your helicopter mom. She takes the the cake. She's a good Jewish mom. She's going to make sure her boys get what they deserve. Now, to be fair, James and John had reason to believe that they were going to get the seats of honor. After all, they were one of the three, Peter being the other one. They were the three ones closest to Jesus. And, and it would be John who would sit right next to Jesus at the Last Supper and, and even lean his head against Jesus' uh, breast. Plus, they were probably threes, the achievers, who are super competitive. We're going to talk about them next week. But Jesus says to them, you know what? You, you really have no idea what you're asking for. 
Are you able to, to drink the cup that, that I'm going to drink? And, and being freeze, James and John both reply, Oh, yeah, sure, we can do that, no problem. Well, you're going to drink from the cup, and you're going to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I am about to go through. But, but even I do not have the right to decide who sits at the right and, and who sits at the left. That has already been determined by somebody else. And then in verse 41, it gets really pathetic. <laughs> the ten other disciples have been eavesdropping on the conversation, and they're, uh, they're angry, not because uh, James and John have been presumptuous, but because, darn it, they didn't think of asking Jesus first. <laughs> and so Jesus sees a, a teachable moment, and so he says, boys, sit down. You're missing what this God movement is all about. This is not like other organizations where people jockey for first place, where the person who has the most power, the most money, the most charm and good looks gets to be first. No, and my coming kingdom is just the opposite. You want to be number one? That's a wonderful aspiration. But to do that, you've got to be last. And then Jesus says this. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so in this one verse, Jesus defines his entire life. The very reason that he came was to serve. And it goes against everything that we are taught from the day we were born. I struggle with it and I imagine you struggle with it as well. But at the heart of that struggle is, is our sin nature. It's our selfishness that we want to put ourselves first. And what we learn is that nothing will kill that self-centeredness more than learning how to serve others with no strings attached. You see, in, in Martha, we have the unhealthy too. But in Jesus, we have this model for what it really means to serve. So what's the difference? Well, here's what Christian author Richard Foster says. He says there's a difference between choosing to serve and choosing to be a servant. That when I choose to serve, I retain control over when I serve and who I serve. But if I choose to become a servant, then I give up all my rights and all of my control. And so service is not about adding one more activity to our already hectic schedule. It's not about getting people to, to like us or, 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 or to appreciate what we do or to need us because we feel unworthy or because we feel rejected. It's about living this lifestyle of servanthood wherever God has placed us. And the thing is, servanthood will change us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're reminded that when people see our good deeds, they will glorify God. And that if we serve with this attitude of love, and if we do it to glorify God, then the sky is the limit for what we can accomplish. And so serving is really about putting love into action. But if we do it out of guilt, or if we do it out of obligation, or if we try to earn points with God so He'll love us more, will simply become frustrated. And so this is the core, this is the essence of the Christian life. 
And unless I learn how to serve others without this expectation of getting something in return, I will never quite get it. I may have all the correct beliefs. I, I may be regular in worship. I may serve on various committees and teams in the church. But if I'm not serving others without needing to get something in return, I'm not quite there yet. In 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says, It is God who saved us and chose us for his holy work. You and I, we get to be involved in God's holy work. Now, what does that word work mean? It means ministry. Ministry and service, same Greek word. Servant and minister, same thing. So what the Bible is saying here is this, that you were saved to serve, and, 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 and the moment that you are baptized, you are commissioned into the Lord's army for his service. But the twos have to figure out how to do this in a healthy way. So how do they do that? Let me suggest a few things. First of all, twos have to set up some healthy boundaries. You need to learn how not to say yes to everybody's request for help. You know, tell them that you'll think about it. Or better yet, just learn how to say no. Learn how to say no. Secondly, when you have that urge to rescue somebody, when you have that desire to, to ride in as the white knight on the, on the charger and rescue somebody who's in trouble, stop for a moment and, and ask yourself, is this really mine to solve? And if you're not sure, then, then talk to a trusted friend or a family member who can help you. And then twos, be honest. Don't expect people to be able to, to read your mind, to know what you need, but, but just tell them. Just be direct and tell them, hey, I need your help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You can't do everything on your own. And when you catch yourself trying too hard to, to present this likable image of yourself or, or trying to flatter other people to win their approval, remind yourself that your identity comes from God's unconditional love for you, not from what you do, but from who you are. And then when you feel resentment, when you feel entitlement, don't, don't push those feelings away. Pay attention to them and look at them as this opportunity to, to do some self-examination, to look inward at exactly what your motivation is. And then ask the Holy Spirit to come in and, and to begin healing some of those areas perhaps that carry some, some pain or hurt. And then most importantly, choose to serve anonymously. Do it without the need to get something in return. And so to all of you Marthas out there, are you tired? Tired and exhausted? Trying to earn other people's approval? Uh, would you like to come and like the real Mary, just spend some time at the feet of Jesus? Then hear his invitation to you today. Put down all your work. Put down all of your plans. Put away your spreadsheets. <laughs> because there's so much joy to be found in his presence. You'll discover there at the feet of Jesus a sense of wholeness.
a sense of completeness. Let's be done with our need to convince others that we are lovable and simply accept the truth that we are just as we are because God says so. Let's pray. God, uh, we confess to you today um, that too often, in too many ways, we've tried to earn the approval of others by doing things for them in hopes of feeling loved ourselves. And so today, God, help us to put all those things away. Help us to take a moment to sit at the feet of Jesus. Help us just to move those things on over, all those things calling to us and to be still, and to hear your voice speak to us. You are my child. You are my beloved. I love you, and I have made you uniquely you for a purpose. Now go and serve others. In Jesus' name.